28, somewhere around verse 28, or uh, we will uh, begin. And today we're going to talk about a life conformed to the Son of God. A life conformed to the Son of God. So we've been talking about a life of faith. And we said a life of faith is marked as a life governed in the Word of God, a life empowered in the Spirit of God, a life perfected in the love of God. And today we're going to talk about a life conformed to the Son of God. Because all of those other aspects culminate or come together to produce or to manifest uh, or to reveal a life that's conformed to the Son of God. Romans, the eighth chapter. I love the book of Romans. Um, In the book of Romans, Paul lays out so beautifully, so wonderfully, the entirety of the gospel. In Romans chapter 8, let's uh, begin reading. Let's go, uh, let's, let's begin reading in verse 23, actually. I was going to start in 28, but I want to start in verse 23. <clears throat> Romans 8, 23, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not yet is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That that what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, in these verses, and today we're, we're going to focus on um, what is declared here in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Uh, we're going to focus on that, but the reason I wanted to start reading back up in verse 23 You know, it's always good, I tell you this all the time, it's always good when you read and study your Bible, read and study it in context. And so we want to get the context of what Paul is talking about here. And of course, in the the whole course of this letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, he's he's laying out the gospel to them. He's telling them, you know, we're not justified by, by the works of the flesh, by the works of the law, we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's telling them why we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus has done what we cannot do. Jesus has done the work that we were unable to do. He finished what we could not. Uh, we couldn't even start it. Um, and so Paul is laying this out. 
And so when we get to verse 29 here, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. We could say it like this, that as believers, our destiny is to be conformed to the image of the Son. A lot of people are wandering around on planet Earth wondering what their destiny is, what their purpose is. Well, you are born again, you are saved by God to be conformed to His Son, that in this life, in this earth that we live in, in this world that we walk through, that we would manifest the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we're going to talk in some detail about that in the 41 minutes that I have left here today, which will be a, quite a feat in and of itself, um, and hopefully it will all work out. Amen? Amen. All right, so a life conformed to the Son of God. Now, I want to... I want to point this out to you uh, as we begin this. Um, this is our destiny. How shall we be conformed to the Son of God? I mean, what does that mean? In what way will we be conformed to the Son of God? And, and I would say this, that we are destined to be conformed to the Son of God in spirit, in soul, and in body. But we are, I believe, triune beings. We have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. And we shall be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. It's all or none, right? You're not going to be conformed in one and not the other two, or in two and not the other one. You're not going to be conformed spiritually and in your soul and then one day not have a resurrected, glorified body. It's all or nothing. It's kind of like... You know, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're not kind of pregnant. I'm getting more pregnant day by day. No, you are or you are not. You know, we're saved or we're not saved. If we are saved, then we shall be conformed to the image of the Son, spirit, soul, and body. So what does that mean? So if we, if we think of it in those, uh, those ways, our spirit has been conformed to the image of the Son of God when? At the moment of our new birth, the moment we were born again, our spirit was conformed to the image of the Son. So for those of you today who know that you have been saved, who know that you have been born again and you are members of the body of Christ, then your spirit has been conformed to the Son of God already. It's past tense, it's a done deal. So we're spirit, we're soul. What's the soul? The soul is the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so I like to, 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 to tell people like this, you know, in between your spirit and your body, you have a soul. Uh, your spirit's already been conformed to the image of God when you were born again. Uh, we all know what's going to happen to our body, right? Our body's going to pass away. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. This flesh is sinful, and there's no way to make it not sinful. This flesh is not spiritual, it is carnal, and you can never, through acts of goodness or keeping the law or works of the flesh, make your sinful flesh spiritual. It just it ain't going to happen. And trapped between your sinful flesh and your perfect spirit is your soul. So remember, at the point you were born again, your spirit has already been conformed to the image of the Son of God. Well, your soul is being conformed to the image of the Son of God through the process that we call sanctification by the Spirit. And we're going to talk in some detail about this process called sanctification. 
So your spirit has been, past tense, your soul is being, present tense, continuous. Your body will be. Your body is yet to experience that conforming to the Son of God. Your body will be conformed to the image of the Son of God at the moment of our bodily resurrection at the coming of the Lord. So when the Lord comes, and, and those who uh, are dead in Christ rise first, and we who remain and shall meet them in the air, at that moment, at the coming of the Lord, your body, living or dead, will be conformed to the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a future tense. That's waiting to happen, right? What we're going to focus on today is not what's already happened or what will happen. <clears throat> we're going to focus on what is happening right now. We're going, to, we're going to look at your soul, that part of you that is being conformed uh, to the image of the Son. So conformation, don't, get, don't confuse this with conformation with confirmation, if you guys, some of you guys that were raised maybe in the Catholic or Lutheran tradition, you went through confirmation class. I'm not talking about confirmation. I'm talking about conformation, to conform. Remember Romans 8, 29, we're predestined to be conformed, not confirmed, conformed to the image of the Son. Now, your confirmation, I was never confirmed because I wasn't raised in that tradition. I was raised in no tradition. But for those of you that were raised in some tradition, and maybe you went through confirmation, that was to confirm your faith, right? Well, let me tell you this. The greatest confirmation of your faith is for you to become conformed to the image of the Son. When you are conformed to the image of the Son, you won't have any doubt about the confirmation of your faith. Amen? So we're talking about conformation. It means to bring to the same form or to render like something or someone. So this is what the Bible tells us, that we were predestined to be brought to like form, to be rendered like Jesus. Amen? Conformation. So confirmation to the image of the Lord Jesus is best understood in the same way the likeness of a child is derived from his parent and grows up conforming to that image. In the scriptures, this, this word image is used for various things or in, in, in Greek writing, you know, in some of the writings, you know, Plato talked about the image of the sun being reflected in the in the water. Well, it's, it's the same word for image, or when they talk about the image of a statue being carved or chiseled out of stone, <clears throat> we see a piece of rock being brought to a likeness to, to, to render the likeness of something. Well, that word image works there, but, but to best understand what God is talking about when he says that those whom were foreknown are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son is not, is not a, just a simple reflection in a mirror or a pool of water, or it's not just lifeless rock being chiseled into the image of some other lifeless thing. It's best understood, and we see, we see it in God's created order. There's a reason why our children resemble their parents. There's a reason why you, you might look at a picture of your child 
as they grow up and you look at a picture of yourself as you were a similar age and, and there's a striking resemblance. God made it that way. And God made it that way because everything in God's created order is speaking of this greater transcendent truth that, that we were, we who were created in Christ Jesus as his workmanship when before heaven and earth was flung out there and the stars were out there, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And so it's best understood of like the likeness of a child being derived from his parents, growing up and conforming to that image. If you look over, if you hold your place there in Romans and you look over in, in Ephesians, for instance, Paul uses language very similar to this as he is talking to the church, writing to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> let's read verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete, a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, Paul is talking about maturity there. He's talking about growing up. That we should, verse 14, no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If you take that phrase out of there, that we should no longer be children, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. This is what we're talking about. This is what it means to be conformed to the image of the Son. It means to grow up in him into all things. It means to no longer be a child, but to come into maturity, into completeness, to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. So it's not just like a, statue whose image is perfectly formed out of a lifeless rock. It's like a child who is brought up and raised up and comes to maturity out of the life of his father. We are brought up. We are born again. We are raised up. We are brought up. We are growing up and maturing into Christ out of his life and in his life. And if we are growing up and maturing in his life, it stands to reason that if that is the life we have become partakers of, then that is the image that, that we should be conformed to. This is what Paul is, is telling us. Here's a quote from a commentator, uh, a Mr. Kenneth Wiest, who he said it like this, he said, confirmation to the image of the Lord Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit in the process which is called sanctification. A process that begins the moment the sinner is saved and which continues throughout eternity, the saint always approaching the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Always approaching the likeness of of the Lord Jesus. Weist goes on there, he says, but never attaining to it. All eternity we shall be conforming and be conformed and be conforming to the image. 
why can we never come to the end of conforming to the image of Christ? In a sense, because Christ is not finite, he is infinite. People have this notion that, well, gosh, you know, we're going to get to heaven one day and and we're going to be there for like eternity. That's a long time. Don't you think we're going to get bored? Well, if heaven is, an, is a finite place and God is a finite God and there are finite things, yeah, we, we probably will. But the Bible doesn't teach that heaven is finite and God is finite and what we're going to experience is finite. He teaches that, that heaven is infinite, that God is infinite, that eternity by its very name and nature is infinite. And we will never come to the end of what we will be seeing and learning and being exposed to. So it is the privilege, Ephesians 3.10, of the church to make known the manifold, the many-sided, the variegated, the multicolored wisdom of God. And that word manifold speaks of this concept that that whatever side of God you see, you're never going to see something that's going to become old. This is why his mercies are new every morning. This is why when the children of Israel were commanded to go get the manna out of the wilderness and bring it back, he said you can't keep it and hoard it and store it because what God has, what God will give you is fresh. It's new every day. This is Christ. He is fresh. He is new every day. This is the image that we are being conformed to. We need to expand our understanding. This is why Paul prays consistently. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open, that you would begin to comprehend the width and the depth of the love of God, of who Christ is. You guys have way, he said, you have way too small a vision of your salvation. Because what God has done is much larger, it's so large, it's beyond your imagination. It's beyond your wildest imagination. And we would do well to heed those same things that Paul wrote to and spoke to the early church. So confirmation, to be brought to the same form, to be rendered light, we are being conformed the image of the Son. How are we being conformed? What is the process by which we're being conformed? We call this process sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being conformed to Christ. And it is that bringing about, it is this process that brings us into this conforming to the image of the Son. How does this process work? By By what power are we conformed? We're conformed to the image of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is conforming us to the Son, spirit, soul, and body. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that caused you to be born again. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is causing you to be being conformed to the image of the Son right now. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that will one day enable you to to shed this mortality so that you can put on immortality. 
It is by the power of the Spirit. Sanctification deals with the transformation that has transpired in your spirit, that is transpiring right now in your soul, the working out of your salvation so that what is inside of you is being manifest outwardly. Remember, if Christ is in you, then he needs to be seen through you and known through you. So what will transpire, uh, what is transpiring, and what will transpire by the power of the Holy Spirit. So one day we will experience a bodily resurrection or a bodily transformation. So what is done makes certain. How do I know that I am being conformed? Because I have already spiritually been conformed. If I am born again, what has been done makes certain what is being done right now. You understand that? How do we know that we abide in God and he abides in us? John says in his first epistle, he says, we know because he has given of us of his spirit. His spirit's in us. And if God has given us from his spirit, his very own life, and his very own righteousness, then that makes certain this work of sanctification or this work of conforming me to Christ. I don't have to wonder if that's happening. I know it's happening because this is what the Scripture declares to me. If I have been born again and have been conformed spiritually to Him, then I am being conformed to Him. I am being sanctified right now. Why? Because I have been sanctified already in a sense. So what what will be done, what has been done, what is being done guarantees what will be done, which is the ultimate glorification experience in the redemption of our bodies. This is what Paul referred to, look in Romans 8.23. This is what he's talking about. He says, even we also groan, waiting, groaning within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope In what hope? That we will ultimately be redeemed, not just some spiritual concept floating around up in the heavenlies, but but what God has done through Christ will ultimately be proven how? Through the redemption of our physical bodies. Because this mortality really will put off death one day and, and be raised and be transformed in immortality and glory. And Paul says, this is what we're waiting for. This is our ultimate hope. It's guaranteed because of everything that Christ has done. And this process of sanctification is taking us to that point. This is our hope. So he says, we hope for what we do not see, verse 25. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Why do we wait for what we do not see with perseverance? Because... Even though we don't see it, we know it's guaranteed, it's promised, it's sure. Why? Because what Christ has done. Christ really came, he really died on the cross, he really rose again. And the fact that he did that, the fact that he redeemed us by his own blood, that he was raised up out of that tomb by the Spirit of God in newness of life, in newness of power, the fact that that has occurred guarantees that one day, this is why I have the hope of what I don't see yet, but I know that day is coming. So I wait for it with perseverance because I know the promise is sure because of what Christ has already done. 
He's already put the guarantee down. He's already made the down payment, so to speak. He's put the earnest money down. He is not going to back out of the deal. Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in you will, not might, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you believe you started that work, then you got problems. Because you may flake out or you may not flake out. But the scripture doesn't say the work you started. It says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. You didn't author your salvation. God authored your salvation. He began the work in you and his promise is what he began, he will finish. Amen? And that's a good promise. You should have given God a better amen than that. So sanctification deals with this transformation uh, that's taking place, that has been done, that is being done, that will be done. And so sanctification is the process of the believer being transformed inwardly, being conformed to that image, what image? The image of Christ, so that what? To what end? So, that the, so, so as to reflect the beauty of the Lord Jesus outwardly. The beauty of Christ, the beauty of the Lord should be seen where? Not just in the pages of the Bible, not just in the flowers and the trees of the field. The beauty of Christ should be seen in and through our lives. In more than any other place in creation, God desires that the beauty of Christ would be seen in his children. That the beauty of Christ would be known in his children. And this is the process of sanctification, is bringing us to a place so that we would reflect the beauty of the Lord outwardly. So sanctification begins where? Does it begin outwardly or does it begin inwardly? It begins inwardly. It's a work that begins inwardly but must ultimately be manifest outwardly to be genuine. Remember... God didn't come so that we would have the power to be imitators. He came so that he would impart his life to us. So the Spirit of God is not given so that you could be a powerful imitator of God. If all you're doing is going through life imitating God, then that will not persevere to the end. I promise you, somehow, some way, sooner or later, Your imitation will fail, and the reality of who you are inwardly will be exposed. Because what's in here ultimately is what's going to come out. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. But if you have truly been born again, and Christ now dwells in you, the hope of glory, and he has indeed imparted his life to you, that life inside of you, by the work of the Holy Spirit, will begin to manifest outwardly so that the beauty of the Lord will be known even through you. Amen? Amen. So sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me just read a few scriptures to you. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Who became wisdom, who became righteousness, and who became sanctification and redemption? Christ did for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, but you were washed, 
but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In 1 Peter 1.2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So sanctification is a work that is performed and carried out by the Holy Spirit. It, your sanctification is the will of God. Now, having said that, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the will of the Holy Spirit. But it is the will of the Holy Spirit shaping the will of redeemed men. You have a will. How many of you willed to come to this building today? Set your alarm and you came here, right? You did that. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you this. You didn't do that apart from God. You might think you did, but you didn't. But you, you really... We're all here today because, because of God. We wouldn't even be alive today if it weren't for God, right? So when it gets down to it, we got to say, look, when we strip everything away, there's someone who stands above everything, whose purpose stands above, who wills, whose will stands above, and, and that is God. But to say that you didn't willfully set your alarm, you didn't willfully get up, you didn't willfully get dressed, you didn't willfully come to this building today would be foolishness. You did. So this isn't an either-or proposition that your will doesn't matter. Your will does matter. And the process of sanctification is not just about the will of God taking control of your life and making you a mind-numbed robot to do whatever He wants. Listen, the process of sanctification is about the will of the Holy Spirit shaping and molding your will so that your will, what? Conforms. To his will. Because when your will conforms to his will, guess who you're conformed to? You're conformed to the Son. And as your will is being conformed more and more to the will of God, you are indeed being conformed more and more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you know it or not, God has a way of conforming your will, doesn't he? I'm telling you, let's, let's go back to Romans. Well, you might still be there. Let's go to Romans. All right, we left off at verse 25. Let's look at verse 26. Likewise, this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures in charismatic churches. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now listen, I grew up in the charismatic tradition. Somebody asked me, do you consider yourself charismatic? I said, yes, with an asterisk. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with the excesses and the, 
the weird theology and the things that are so commonly associated today with the charismatic church. But if you're asking me, do I believe that God still works miracles? Yes. Does he still heal? Yes. Does he still move in in power and signs and wonders? Yes. Do I believe all of the Bible is true? Absolutely. Do I believe what God did in Jesus' day or before Jesus' day, in Moses' day, that he, he will do today? Yes, as long as it lines up with this right here. Now, if you ask me, is God writing Scripture today? No, he's not. Does he have apostles and prophets out there like he did in the Old and the New Testament writing Scripture today? No, he does not. There's a lot of people thinking they're hearing from God, but if it doesn't line up with this word right here, I don't care how much they quack like a duck and talk like a duck and call themselves a duck, they ain't a duck, honey. They're not. They're just crazy, okay? Let's just be honest. So let's look what Paul is talking about here. This is really important for us. Because he's talking about the believer coming to a place, coming to a point that what is true inwardly is going to be manifest outwardly. And what Paul is teaching us here is that you're not going to do that through the will of your flesh. You're not going to do that through your carnal fleshly power through your human willpower i don't care how good your intentions are we are weak if you see if we read chapter 8 of romans if we'll read this like a letter and we'll understand what paul just got through writing in chapters 5 6 and 7 by the time we get to chapter 8 and we read verses like verse 26 we know exactly what paul's talking about because we've read the letter in context and we understand what he's saying He's saying, in your human power, you can't do it. So God has given you the Spirit also to help in our weakness. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's not an argument for tongues today. He's not talking about tongues here. He's not. Because if the Spirit of God... If the only time the Spirit of God is praying on your behalf is when you're speaking in tongues, honey, you're in trouble. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He ne- what Paul is saying is he never stops making intercession on your behalf. The Spirit of God is working in you. What's he doing? He's sanctifying you. He is causing you to be conformed. He is causing you to be being conformed to the Son of God. Who's doing that? The Spirit of God is doing that. Does he work 8 to 5, 9 to 6? Does he work a 12-hour shift, an 18-hour? No, he is always working, always praying, always interceding. Can I hear what he's saying? Maybe sometimes. But listen, what he's doing, he's doing with groanings, which cannot be uttered. What the Spirit of God is doing, he is doing, cannot be described in English or Spanish or Gaelic or Hungarian or Mandarin. It it can't be uttered. There is not human language. There's not human comprehension to communicate what the Spirit of God is doing on the inside of you, the work that he is doing bringing you to be conformed 
to the image of the Son. But Paul says, understand this. In your weakness, this is what he is doing. When you don't know what to pray, he knows what to pray. When you don't know what to say, he's already said it. When you don't know which direction to go, listen, honey, he already knows everything. So what should that do for us? Man, that should make us just take a a big sigh of relief and understand that he's got it all under control. And he's good. And we can trust him. Now he who, verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, capital S, you don't know what the mind of the Spirit is. Well, you know what it is as it's revealed in this word, but I'm telling you what, you think the only thing that's in the mind of God is, is, is what's recorded here? I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it is. I believe you can't, if, if, if just the very acts of Jesus in his 33 years on earth could not be contained in volumes on this earth in libraries and books, then you think the, the eternal, infinite God can be described in a book about two inches thick? No way. But what you don't know, what's impossible for you to know and for you to search out, guess who does know? The Spirit knows. He knows. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Who knows? Every aspect of the will of God. The Spirit of God does. What does the Spirit of God pray on your behalf? He prays the will of God. What is the point? What is the purpose of the Spirit's prayer, the Spirit's prayer and the Spirit's intercession, the Spirit's working? What is the point in the believer? The point is, he tells us right here. Let's go on. And we know. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, we like to take that scripture and we won't want to apply it to things that happen in our lives. And that's fine. That's appropriate. But I want you to realize Romans 8, 28 is, is for more than just the mishaps, the accidents, the bad decisions, the bad choices that, that may happen in your life. Romans 8, 28 goes way beyond that. Romans 8, 28 is going to the I mean, it's taking us to the very top of the mountain or we could say to the very base and foundation of all things and saying at the very top and at the very bottom of all things is the will of God. And everything that happens in between, God has promised to work all of those things together for good. Why? Because God has a purpose. God has a plan. Well, what is God's purpose and what is God's plan? Verse 29 tells us, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In spite of what may have or may not have happened in your life, what is your destiny according to the Scripture? If you are a child of God, your destiny is to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Your destiny... The Spirit of God is working right now to shape your will so that it would conform to the will of God. He's doing that right now, whether you know it or not. You might be, you might be daydreaming and a million miles away, not even listening to what I'm saying, but I'm going to tell you what. 
just because you're not listening to what I'm saying, just because you're not really involved or engaged, whether it's now or I'm telling you what, if you're a child of God, if you're called by God, God says, I know how to work in your life. I know how to deal in your life. I know how to shape your will so that your will will ultimately be conformed to my will. For some people, that's scary because they don't want someone else to have that level of control over them. But the reality is, once we come to know who God is, it should not scare us. It should bring great peace and great comfort to us. Then in spite of our best efforts and our worst failings, God says, my promise is, I am working all things out together for good. You will be conformed to the image of my son. It is your destiny. So that my son might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Paul says, what, what, what are we left to say? Here's what we say. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, what can be against us? If God is for us, praise God forever. Because that's all I need to know is that God is for me. Child of God, here's the promise. He is for you. He's not against you. So sanctification is the will of the Holy Spirit shaping the will of redeemed man. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're going to end with this. Let's go there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Child of God... If you are a child of God, here is what you will do. You might not do it as an act of your will immediately. You might not do it today. You might not do it tomorrow. But this is what the scripture in totality promises. If you are the called of God, if you have been justified by him, you are predestined to be conformed to the son of God. And Paul says, brethren, I'm telling you right now, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. So Paul is imploring the brethren as an act of their redeemed will. Present your body a living sacrifice. As an act of your redeemed will, commit these acts of personal worship. As an act of your redeemed will, don't be conformed to the world. But as an act of your redeemed will, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As an act of your redeemed will, prove the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God through the outward manifestation of the inner life of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sanctification is initiated and worked by the will of the Spirit, but it is not accomplished apart from the will of redeemed man. Conformation is worked through the process of sanctification. It is the beauty of the Lord Jesus manifest through the spirit, the soul, and the body of redeemed man as a witness and a testimony of God's grace and glory. Amen.
This is why you have been saved. Christ in you would be manifest outwardly and the world would see the beauty of the Lord and it would be a witness and a testimony of His grace and of His glory. Amen? Let's all stand. A life of faith is a life conformed to the Son of God. I would encourage you, take some time Read and meditate Romans chapter 8. It's a wonderful chapter. Go back a few verses into chapter 7. Remember the image from last week when Paul says, Who will deliver me from this body of sin, O wretched man that I am? We saw the image from ancient history of how the captives would be chained to the dead body. And the death of that body would just permeate, it would just saturate and bring death to that captive. Paul says, this is me. I am chained to a body of death. Who will deliver me? I thank God for Jesus Christ. And he didn't just deliver us from that body of death, but he says, it is your destiny be conformed to the glorious image of my son. And the good news is you're not going to initiate that work and you're not going to accomplish that work by yourself. In fact, it's going to be the Spirit of God working in you, and that same Spirit working in you will mold and shape your redeemed will and cause it to come in perfect conformity to the will of God. Amen? Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and understand, Lord, that the, the things that you have declared to us from your word concerning us being conformed to the image of the Son, our sanctification, this process that the Spirit of God is, is working in us. Lord, these are not things that happen overnight. These are not things that we can look at one day and expect to, to come to completion and perfection. Father, this is the exhortation of the Scripture that we look in hope with perseverance. And we persevere because we know the promise is sure. Because we know the one who has made the promise, and we know the one who will keep the promise. You have promised to persevere us, Lord, to the very end, so that in the end, Lord, we would be witnesses and testimonies, spirit, soul, and body, of the glorious Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, by your Spirit, open our hearts and our minds. Teach us, lead us, and guide us. I pray, God, that you would give us a hunger for your word, we would hunger and thirst for your righteousness and that you would fill us, God, by your Son and by your Spirit. We thank you. We praise you. Lord, I pray everyone have a wonderful Christmas uh, preparation leading up to next Sunday. Lord, they just remember the reason for the season and not get stressed out. And just remember you've already given us the greatest gift we could ever receive. We thank you for that gift, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you.